Welcome to At the Crossroads Church weekly podcast. Our hope is that you will grow in your walk with God and be blessed and encouraged in your daily lives as you listen. You can visit us at our website at atthecrossroads.ca. So I want to talk about prayer. And uh, the first week, uh, three weeks ago, I talked about um, praying with passion and how important it is to pray with passion. I use the acronym PUSH, which means pray until something happens, right? And there's times in our lives when we have to uh, pray, we have to fight the good fight of faith. And so sometimes you have to pray and you have to be persistent in your prayer till you get your breakthrough, right? I talked about Elijah. I talked about how um, he knew God wanted to send the rain. God said, you know, there was a drought in the land for three years. And God told, God told Elijah, I'm going to send the rain. Uh, but then Elijah still had to pray it forth. So sometimes God chooses to use us to birth his will from the heavenly realm into the earth realm. So God has a plan and a purpose, but we need to pray it forth sometimes. And we talked about how Elijah decided to pray for the rain. And uh, he went up on the mountain. He put his head down between his knees and he began to pray and travail in prayer. And he sent his servant out. He said, I want you to go see what you see. So the servant ran out and he looked. And he came back. He said, hey, Elijah, I don't see anything. There's nothing happening. Elijah said, go again. So he went a second time. He went a third time. Kept coming back saying, Elijah, nothing's happening. I mean, your prayer life, your prayer is not very powerful, bud. Like, you know, what's going on? Seven times, six times he went. Nothing happened. On the seventh time, he came back and he said, I see, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand coming up uh, from the ocean. And Elijah said, you know what? The rains are coming. You know, and he said to Ahab, run. Because, the, you know, I'm telling you, the rain is about to come. All right? And so sometimes... God wants to use us to birth his will into the earth. How many see that? And so I, we, I encourage you on the first week to pray with passion and pray with consistency. Push until something happens. And that's really what breakthrough prayer is all about. The next week we talked about, um, uh, we talked about meditative prayer. And then we, we uh, used Elijah again as an example. Elijah had just had this great showdown at Mount Carmel. And with, uh, with uh, the prophets of Baal, and he said, whoever's God answers by fire, he is the God of gods. You remember that story? And he built an altar, and he had the sacrifice on the altar, and he drowned uh, the sacrifice with water until it filled up the ditches around, the, and, and he called on fire from heaven. The prophets of Baal, they, they, all, from morning to night, they cried out, and they cut themselves, and they said, Baal, you need to send fire. You know, you've got to prove yourself. And he didn't answer. And Elijah got cocky and said, yeah, maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's asleep. Cry louder. And at the end, he calls down fire. He just says a simple prayer. God, send fire. Boom, the fire comes. All the people say, God is God. We're going to worship the God of Elijah. And, and the prophets of Baal are destroyed. You guys know the story. Uh, but uh, something happened. He, he got terrified because Jezebel... Ahab's wife, the queen, found out what happened. He said, listen, by tomorrow, Elijah, I'm going to have, he sent, she sent a servant to come and say, listen, by tomorrow, I'm going to kill you. You're dead. And he got terrified and he was full of stress and he was full of anxiety. Say stress and anxiety. And how many know, like with all of us, there's times when we're in stress and there's times when anxiety hits us and it seems like everything's coming against us and we want to run and hide, Right? And that's what, what he did. He ran and he hid away because he was full of fear and he was full of stress and he was full of anxiety. And so for 40 days, he ran. He ended up in a mountain. And he was in that place where the Lord spoke to him. And this is what he said in 
1 Kings 19, verse 11 to 13, God said to Elijah, Go out and stand before me on the mountain. And the Lord told him, as Elijah stood there, The Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak, went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said to Elijah, what are you doing here? And I talked about this last week. Sometimes we're waiting for the wind. Sometimes we're, wake, we're waiting for God to come shake up the situation. Sometimes we're waiting for the fire of God. But you know, God wants to show up in your life and it might look different than what you expect, right? There was two crazy disciples with Jesus and they said, you know, he went to preach, I believe it was in Capernaum, and they rejected his message. And he said, and, and John and, uh, who's John and um, James said, they, they said, God, why don't, Jesus, why don't you want us to call down fire from heaven and we'll devour them, we'll just kill them all. And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. He said, I've come to bring life. It was a different dispensation. God wanted to do something. He wanted to show grace. He wanted to show mercy. And sometimes God speaks in a whisper. And it's that time where Elijah realized God was saying, you, you don't need the thunder. You don't need the Mount Carmel experience. You don't, need, you don't need fire coming and devouring your enemies. What you need is you need to shut up, sit down, and listen. Because I have an assignment for you. And God gave him his next assignment. And it's in that secret place, when we get to a place in our lives where we realize it's in the place of solitude that we can hear the voice of God. How many know that it's we, sometimes when we're stressed, sometimes when there's anxiety and there's problems in life, we don't need a shaking. We, don't, we, we just need to get along with God and say, God, what are you saying? What are you saying to my heart? And it's like that when we spend time in the scripture. The Bible says the scripture is the logos of God. It's the written word. But as you spend time in prayer, meditative prayer, as you spend time reading the scripture and in relationship and prayer, sometimes a scripture will just jump off the page at you and you're like, wow, that's for me. Anyone ever had that happen? That's called rhema. That's God-breathed scripture. And it's very important because we're going to be talking about the prayer of faith. Before we can get there, in order to have true faith, not manufactured faith, name it and claim it faith, that, because sometimes that we can go too far this way. We're talking about faith that is birthed by the Spirit of God. You have to have solitude. You have to have a place where you hear the voice of God so you can believe the voice of God. Amen? And so the first week, we talked about warfare. The second week, we talked about meditative prayer. But today, I'm going to look at the prayer of agreement. We're going to talk about the prayer of faith. How many know a few months ago, a few, a few months ago, I talked about... Um, different levels of faith. Now, in the Gospels, people were waiting for Jesus to come and lay his hands on them. Jesus, People were like, man, if Jesus, if you could only touch me, if I could just get close enough to Jesus so he could touch me, then maybe I'd be healed. Maybe my situation would be taken care of. And Jesus is so compassionate. Every time people ask, would you heal me? He said, I'm willing. I'll heal you. That's the heart. He, he came to bring life and life in abundance. But people waited and hoped that Jesus would touch them. But then there's this woman, the woman with the issue of blood. How many remember that story? And I love this story because the Bible says she spent all that she had on doctors and physicians, and she only grew worse. She didn't get better. 
and she had um, she was she was a social outcast. She couldn't come to where the crowds of people were because she had an issue of blood, which means you know she was bleeding continually, and so she was considered unclean. It wasn't safe health-wise for her to be in an environment where so she was away from people her whole for these twelve years. And while everybody else was going to Jesus, say very politely, saying, uh, "Jesus." If it be thy will, would you pray for me? Sure, okay, it's my will, I'm going to pray. And they're being polite and nice, and they're coming and asking for something. Here's a woman who says, I'm, I'm going to have a five-finger discount thing here. I'm going to go and just steal something, and nobody will know, because, you know, I'm just going to go and get what I need from God. And the Bible says she purposed in her heart that if I can only touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. And so there was something in her, she believed, say she believed, that if I, could only, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. Nobody else thought that thought before. How many see what I, where I'm going with this? Jesus said, let it be according to your faith. So she purposed in her heart, because of the situation, listen, I'm going to go up and I'm going to steal something from him. I'm going to come and grab. And so she, she snuck up behind Jesus in the crowd, probably covered. She grabbed the hem of his garment. And she starts trucking off. She's like, okay, nobody saw me. And she's trucking off. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops. Oh, hold on a second. Somebody touched me. And the disciples are like, what do you mean somebody touched you, Jesus? You're like famous. Everybody's touching you. He said, no, no, I perceived that power went out of me. I felt power get drained from me because somebody touched me with a touch of faith. And the disciples are scratching their head going, this is a new concept. We kind of like this. What, what, what do you mean somebody touched you and power went out of you? And, and, and she's like, she, I could just see her. She's trying to get away. And she's like, uh-oh, I'm busted, right? She's trying to get, like hide. And, and, and he's like, who touched me? Who touched me? And so finally she, she turns around. She confesses everything and falls at his feet. Like, like if you think about it, she just went and she grabbed what she wanted from God and tried to get away without noticing. And she fell at her, his feet. And he said, you know what, woman? Your faith has made you well. I know I talked about this six months ago, but I really felt I wanted to hit it again. Because, you know, as we grow in our, in our Christian life, we're supposed to grow in faith. How, how many know that your faith is growing? And it's okay. It's great to be at a place where you're at a place as a believer. You're just like, I, just re- I really need Jesus to show up in my situation. I need him to touch me. That's okay. But there's a level where you get to where you're like, you know what? I can't, I'm not waiting for Jesus. I'm just going to go into the throne room of grace and receive what I need in my time of need. I'm just going to go after what I need from God. And so you no longer need Jesus to touch you. Now you can just go and touch Jesus. Amen? And so what happened was Jesus had this situation where the woman did this. And then as time went on, the next village he went to, people came and they asked, hey, can we only, we just want to touch the hem of your garment. There was like a whole new mindset that you don't always have to wait on God. You can go to God yourself in faith and get what you need. Different concept, right? And so, are you ready for the third level? So the first level is you wait on Jesus. Second level is you go by faith and take what he wants to give you. The third level is a different thing altogether. So let's go to Matthew chapter 8, verse 5 to 13. So if we want to bring that up. You guys getting anything here? Is this okay? Okay. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him. Lord... My young servant lies in bed, paralyzed, and is in terrible pain. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. So Jesus made the offer. Listen, I'm going to come. 
I'm going to come straight to your house. I'm going to heal him. And it's a for sure deal. You know, if Jesus comes and touches your servant, it's a for sure deal. The servant's going to get healed. But he says, I'm going to come and do it. But the officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. I want you to see, see two things. Number one, he's a man of compassion, the man the Roman centurion, because he wasn't, he, he wasn't coming and saying, you know, Jesus, I, I want, I want a, a Bentley. No, they didn't have those. I want a two-humper camel <laughs> for myself so I can ride in comfort. You know, Jesus, I, I really want, I, I, I don't like the tent that I have. I want a bigger tent, and I want, I, I want silk bed sheets instead of the, the wool, you know, I just, I, I want greater things. He didn't come looking for things for himself in the natural. He came with a heart, not even for a family member, but for his servant saying, hey, I, I have compassion for my servant. How many know that if, if you're thinking of others, God answers your prayers a lot quicker, amen? And then the second thing we see about this Roman officer is he says, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. He's a man of humility. He recognizes whose presence he's standing in. And he humbles himself and says, I'm not worthy. And, and that shows me, t- if you have compassion and you have humility, God's ready, will move in your, in your life. Amen? And look what he says. Centurion says, just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I'm under authority of my superiors. Here's the third thing. Okay? He had compassion for people. All right? The second thing was, he was uh, He's humble. But he also understands authority. He's a man under authority. If you want God to move in your life, you have to understand authority, that God has an authority structure, okay? I don't have time to get into that. But he said, I I only need to say go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slave, do this, they do it. So, So I only need a word from God. That's what he needed. And so you can get to a place in your faith where, you know, you don't need someone to lay hands on you. You don't even need to pre- press in and pray and pray and pray and pray until you feel something happen. You just hold God to his word and say, God, you said it. I believe it. You know, when I spent time with you last week and that scripture came alive and you said that my, me and my household shall serve the Lord. I just know God and believe that you're going to do that. You're working on behalf of my children. You begin to believe God and you take him at his word. And that's all you need to release the power of God in your life. Amen. And so, say it's a growth process. And so it's exciting because we go, we grow in our faith. And look at verse 10 here. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who followed him, he said, I tell you the truth. All right. I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. This is like heavy duty faith. And Jesus marveled. He was amazed. He was like, I can't. This is incredible. I want, how many want Jesus to marvel at your faith? I do. I, I think God wants to look, I want God to look down from heaven or from my heart, wherever he's at, like kind of look at my life and say, you know, I'm amazed because he's choosing to believe me in spite of the situation. And God moves in that place. Isn't that awesome? And so it says, and I tell you the truth, many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast of the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites uh, from whom the kingdom was prepared will be thrown into outer darkness, so will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 13, And Jesus said to the Roman officer, Go back home because you believed. Say, because you believed. It will happen. And the young servant was healed that same hour. See, it didn't happen instantaneous. It happened within an hour's time. 
but it happened because he believed. Isn't that good? This is the place that God wants us to grow into in our faith, right? And the devil seems to be attacking the validity of Scripture. There's people preaching today that this isn't the Word of God and that there's missing books and we can't, you know, it's, it's really just parables and stories that kind of give us an idea. But no, th- this is the Word of God. And see, the enemy wants to attack it because the Bible says that his Word is the sword of the Spirit. It's our weapon to do warfare against him. So when you believe that it's not the Word of God, then you have no weapon against him. So we need to believe this is the word of God. But at a deeper level, we need to hear the whispers of God. And what God says over you is worth holding on to. Amen? In just a few minutes, I'm going to have a couple testimonies. But Because you guys, a lot of you have heard my stories. But I want you to hear the stories here about the prayer of faith and how faith works in all of our lives. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 18 to 22, okay, this is a really good story here. In the morning, as Jesus was returning to Jerusalem, he was hungry and he noticed a fig tree beside the road. He went over to see there if there were any figs, but there were only leaves. And he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. So, and immediately the fig tree withered up. That would have been really cool to see, right? This fig tree just, just wither up in front of them. And the disciples were amazed. When they saw this, they asked, how did the fig tree wither so quickly? And then Jesus told them, I tell you the truth. He's not lying, he's telling the truth. If you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to the mountain, you may be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. Now, do you think Jesus is lying? He's telling the truth. He's saying, if you have faith like this and don't doubt, you can say to a mountain, a problem in your life, be removed and cast into the sea, and it will obey you. I mean, that's powerful. And that's the kind of faith that I want to have. That's what I'm working towards. I want to get to that place. And we're all on a journey. Say, we're on a journey. And our faith is growing. And the Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So the more time you spend in the word, reading the word, believing the word, the more your faith is going to grow. The more your faith is going to grow to see miracles. Amen? Here's another one, Mark 11, 23, 24. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and doesn't doubt in his heart, in the core of who you are, you really believe that God's going to do it. You believe that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. This is Jesus explaining what the third level of faith is like. It's this place where you hold fast and you believe what God's word says is true. Matthew 18, 19, again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Two or more agree on earth. Who lives inside? Through the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit. If, is the Holy Spirit on earth? So if you pray and you agree with the Holy Spirit within your heart concerning God's word on a situation, is there two people there? Where two or more agree as touching anything, it shall be done by my Father in heaven. And the balance in all this is that it has to be according to the will of the Lord. It has to be God's will. If you're going to just pray for something that is not in God's will, you're not going to receive it. But if it's in the will of God, guess what? You will receive it. Isn't that good news? The word of God is basically the teaching of the Lord. Uh, Jesus talks about it like leaven. You know what leaven is? It's basically yeast. And you put yeast in a lump of dough. How many women ever bake? And you do that. And some of you men do too. I know it's not just a woman thing anymore, but men cook too and bake. 
Well, we, mo we mostly barbecue. The women usually do the baking, right? I'll just keep going. Take my foot out of my mouth. So anyway, you put, you put yeast in the dough, right? And then overnight, right, the, the, the bread will rise and it's ready to bake in the next, the next day. And Jesus said, Be, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees talking about what they were teaching. And I, I like this because I was, I was just reading about, I, I Google, what, what does my dough, why does my dough not rise? Okay, this is talking about baking, okay? And this is what Google told me. You want to hear what Google said? Okay. A longer rise time could be due to a room that is a little too cold, or it could be that most of the yeast was dead. It could be because you are using a different kind of flour or whole grain flour. Even sweet bread dough takes a long time to rise. If the dough hasn't risen as much as you have expected, give it some more time. And so I turn that into a spiritual thing, and this is how I've written it, okay? A longer rise time could be due to a spiritual atmosphere that's a little too cold. You need to stay on fire. Stay close to the heart of God. Make him your first love, right? Um, or it could be that most of your teaching was dead. Maybe you received teaching in some church that maybe they believe something that you didn't go and study for yourself to see if that was true. You just believed it. And so now because of your teaching, the power of God is limited in your life because it doesn't produce faith. It produces doubt and unbelief. So maybe you have to look at the pond of faith and say, which streams are running into this pond of faith? Do I have faith like a child or a Am I believing things that aren't right? So maybe it could be that some of your teaching is dead. It could be because you are using a different kind of gospel or an unrefined truth. If your faith hasn't risen as much as you've expected, just give it some more time. Amen? And, um, and I think it's important that we realize, and when I talk about faith, is never worry about whether you have enough faith or not. Because that's, that's what the enemy wants you to do. Oh, I don't have enough faith. No, no, no don't worry about that. You know, because we're always growing in faith. Just be thankful. And build a relationship with God. Spend time in his word and your faith will grow. Amen? I have a scripture here. I didn't give it to um, Brian, but I want to read it to you because I think it's really cool. And then we're going to have a few testimonies. In Acts chapter 12, um, verse 1 to 16, it says this. Can you bring it up for me? Acts chapter 16, or 12, verse 1 to 16. And I love this story because it kind of gives us all hope. We know hope is good. Okay, and about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. They were under persecution. And they, uh, then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to the four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Say that with me. Constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Now, I want you to see that what happened. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping bound by two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the doors uh, were keeping the prison. Okay. Now, behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. This is all due to prayer. Verse, verse. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself, tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garments and follow me. So he's having this conversation with the angel. He's telling him how to be free and all this stuff. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. So he, he, P, 
Peter doesn't realize. He thinks he's having a dream or something, right? Now look what happens. And when they had passed the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that led to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and they went down one street and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from this hand of Herod and from all the expectations of the Jewish people. So he's realizing, I'm free. I was just, this wasn't a dream. You know, you're pinching yourself. What's going on? So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. What are they praying for? They're praying for Peter to be released. And Peter knocked on the door of the gate, and a girl named Rhoda came to answer. And then... And then she, she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness. She came not to open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter's here. He's standing at the door, guys. You know the one we're praying for? And look what happens. And so they said to her, hey, you're beside yourself. You're crazy. In some translations, it says, you're crazy. Yet she kept insisting, hey, it's so. Peter's at the door. And they said, no, it must be his angel. It can't be Peter. He's in prison, guys. Come on. P- Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw him and they were all astonished. Now, I read this because this is the first, we all say we want to be like the early church, right? Here's the early church praying fervently, God, deliver Peter, deliver Peter. Peter shows up and they're like, you're crazy, he can't be here, he's in jail. So that's to give us hope, say, listen, even when we're faithless, God is faithful. So whether you feel like you have enough faith or not, don't worry about that. Just keep praying and let God come through and be God. But I'm, I'm giving you this teaching to encourage you to learn, let your faith be developed by spending time in his word. Amen. I wanted to ask just a couple, I had a couple testimonies. I was going to ask maybe Candy, if you could come first and just take a few minutes uh, to share a testimony, something about chicken thighs. I don't know, tell a story. But. Yes, chicken thighs are very spiritual. Um, well, this is a, a time in our life where we, um, Pierre had a business and he lost it, sorry, and he lost his business and we were actually quite poor. In fact, um, we were told for a family of six, we didn't even make enough to con- be considered poverty line. So we were actually starving. Uh, we had enough money to pay um, our loans and the house and a few of the bills, but not enough for food. We never touched our tithe. We always tithed. It didn't matter. I said, I'd rather starve than to steal God's money because that's his money. And without his giving him his money, uh, you know, he's not going to supply our needs, right? So um, this is how we were living very, like, poorly day to day. So one day I was at the grocery store and I saw some chicken thighs, uh, four of them, for $2. And I was like, wow, we can have meat tonight. It's two bucks, right? So I took the chicken thighs home and I, I cooked them. And you know how chicken thighs are when you cook them, they get really small. Well, four chicken thighs for a family of six is like, well, what do you do with that, right? So anyway... Um, I, I'm, I put it down and I realized how pathetic it looked because, you know, I'm looking around and I'm like six of us looking at these little chicken thighs. And, and I had just remembered this teaching that we were sitting under. It was, uh, you know, you always say your teaching is either hot or cold, right, or good or bad. Anyway, this teaching was a good teaching. And um, the teaching said, uh, don't for pray always for your problems, pray for your solutions. So I was like, okay. So I kind of looked at the chicken thighs and I was like, okay, we need a solution here. So I, I just earnestly started praying, thank you, Lord, that you supply all my needs in abundance and in excess, that you've, you know, exceedingly abundantly given us more than we can ever ask or imagine 
that you supply, you know, in such abundance for us. And my husband's looking at me like, he's looking at the chicken thighs, and he's looking at me going, what abundance do you see here? But anyway, so when we finished praying, uh, we started eating. And of course, you know, the, the two little ones were little, so I had to cut up their meat for them. And while I was cutting up their meat, everybody else was taking their meat. And we weren't really paying attention. So, you know, I grabbed a chicken thigh for myself, and we started eating. And I, and I felt like when I ate it, it felt more than one chicken thigh. Because by the time I finished eating, I was stuffed, like... I was full. I couldn't eat anymore. And uh, I looked around, and, and I looked down, and there was one chicken thigh left over. And I was like, How do, wait a minute. How does that happen? I go, who didn't eat? I go, Pierre, did, did you not eat so the kids could eat? And he goes, no, I ate. He says, I think I had two pieces. And I was like, that's what I felt like I had, two pieces, you know. And I go, Allison, you didn't eat, right? Allison? And she's like, no, no, I ate. And I go, Bianca? She's like, no, I ate. And I know I fed the little ones, so I'm like, well, who didn't eat? Like, how, how, how? Did we feed six people? We're stuffed to the gills, and there's still one chicken thigh left over. So then it was just like, ding, 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 uh, you know, fish and loaves story. You know, the more we just cut up, the more food there was. And it, and it happened right in front of our eyes, and we didn't even notice it. It just happened. And we were just like, wow, that is, like, very strange. So anyway, we, we just shared that story. So that, that's an awesome story, right? Like, I, I just love hearing those stories. Um, I also, Chris, I remember Chris broke his arm on a skateboard, and I was talking about faith. I was talking about faith at youth. Was it your arm, I think it was? Yeah, well. Tell the story. Hi, my name's Chris. I used to skateboard. <laughs> no, I was, before I was married to Allison, um, uh, I had a skateboard, enjoyed it a lot, but I wasn't very good. And uh, the evidence was in the broken bones. So one day I was like, it was raining, and Alice and I wrote for, you know, like classic summer walk in the rain down at the, uh, and we ended up in the park. We were walking by the uh, skate park, and I had parked there, and I had my skateboard in my trunk because when was I without my skateboard? And I was like, I wanted to show off a little bit. So I was like, check it out, honey. So I, gr- I jump on my skateboard in the rain on a wet cement, which is never a good plan. And I go down this rant. And the very first shot at it, I go down, down the pipe, up the other side, into the air. My feet come off the skateboard. And I, I don't know how far I fell. It's felt like eternity. And I, I, I fell down and just onto the wet concrete and just smack. And w- w- when I landed, you know, knocked the wind out of me and stuff, well, I just kind of like put my arms out and smacked the concrete. So I got up. I finally was able to breathe. Allison's looking at me like, you Okay. Yeah, you, 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 you know, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm fine. My wrist hurts. It was my right one. I'm like, my wrist hurts, but it, it's fine." So I was working full time at the time, you know, and the guy I was training under, as everybody's probably heard in the past, professing atheist, hated me, hated God, and he and um, I'm complaining that my wrist is hurting. He's like, "Oh, you probably broke it." You know, he's training to be a paramedic. So one day, after about four days, it was pretty swollen, and I was having a hard time shifting. And I'm like trying to work, trying to shift gears. I'm just like, this isn't working anymore. I just, I have to go to the hospital. I'm so stubborn. And so I'm just like, it, it, it must not be a sprain. So I go to the hospital, they x-ray it. And they said, yeah, you have two clean breaks and a carpal in your wrist at the base of your thumb. And uh, they said, we're going to put a cast on it. And they're like, you're going to have to take it easy. I'm like, how easy? And they're like, well, easy. It's broken. And I'm like, okay, so that mean I can't lift weights? They're like, no. I'm like, okay, fine. And they're like, what can I do? And they're like, take it easy. I'm like, 
All right. So they scheduled me this appointment with a specialist at Hotel Dew in Kingston. So that's three weeks away. So I go back to work and, and you know, my work partner, my gracious work partner laughs at me when he sees the cast. Like, <laughs> you're an idiot. And then so he laughs at me. And, and so he, he makes me work harder because just, just to torment me. So I'm still carrying everything and everything. The cast on. And after about four days, I'm like, oh, this is so frustrating. I'm like, I can't do anything. And suddenly I felt like God spoke to my heart and just said, it's healed. And I'm like, it is healed, isn't it? And I like look at it and I go, and I break the cast and it was no problem. And I was like, sweet, it's healed. And then I'm like, so I go tell us and she's like, that's wonderful. You know, like, and I'm like, should I just cut the cast off? And she like, like, it's not doing anything now. And and she's like, it's just kind of there. And she's like, well, you know, it's like, I think you should believe God. And I'm like, okay. And then I ask a few other people, because I'm like so young in the Lord, right? And I'm just like, what do I do? And everybody's like, well, the doctors have wisdom. It's true. The doctors have wisdom, and you should adhere to that. And nobody wants to take liability, you know, is what it comes down to. So fun, it's just in the way now. So I'm like, you know what? The heck with it. So I take a drywall saw, and I put it on the end on this side, and I just start, you know, and I cut it off. It's plaster. And I pop it off. I go into work. You know, this is on a weekend. I go into work the following Monday, and my partner sees me. He's like, you idiot. You cut your cast off? You th- and I'm like, so why? And I told him, and that made him really mad. Anyways, that's a long story. I won't go there. i got to keep this short. But anyways, three weeks goes by. I go back to weightlifting. I'm carrying, like, battery, these, like, car battery, like, car-sized batteries up ladders to emergency lights, carrying them. and No problem. I go to Hotel Dew from my first specialist appointment, and I'm in a waiting room, and I'm the only one without a cast. And so I'm in this little waiting room. Now, keeping in mind, the doctor did not tell me. They just said, yeah, it's broken in two places, and take it easy, okay? So I'm waiting, and the doctor comes out, calls my name. She looks at me, and she says, where's your cast? And I said, I cut it off, okay? You know, the look on her face, I mean... You're, imagine that you've gone to school for like 10 years of your life and you're a specialist and you know this inside out and then some random dude comes into your office and says, I cut my cast off. And you're thinking to myself, and you're thinking to yourself, you're an idiot. Oh my gosh, what have you done? I have, understand the ramifications. Anyways, I had no clue. So she looks at me and she's like, get in to my office. I'm like, okay. I'm like I'm thinking to myself, why is she mad? So I go in. She, uh, they take X-rays. So this, like, her assistant puts my arm. You know, the X-ray table. She puts it on. There's like that foam pad thing. I'm gonna use this. Puts it on. And she's like, okay. And they're making manipulating my wrist in different angles to take X-rays. And she's like twisting it a little harder than I think she needs to. And then she's like, looking, watching my face. She's like, does that hurt? No. <laughs> does that hurt? I'm like, that hurts a little bit. You know, like. I don't think it's supposed to go that direction. And then she's just like, hold it there. I'm like, okay, so okay. So they take, they take an x-ray. And uh, anyways, they have me sit back in the waiting room. And everybody's now staring at me in the waiting room. Because like, they all saw the exchange between me and the doctors. They're all like, trying to not look at me, but also looking at me. Because they're just like, you know, parents are learning that and their little kids are pointing at me and saying, that's why you don't cut your cast off, you know. And, and you know, probably making up stories to scare their kids. So using me as an example. So I'm there, and then the doctor comes back, and I guess she wanted to make an example of me. She was that confident. So she brings out these x-rays, and there was a viewing screen right there in the waiting room. 
You'd think it would be confidential. I mean, technically, it was a little bit off to the side. You can give her that much. So she comes over, and she puts these x-rays up, and she's looking at him, and she calls me over, and they say, here's where the two fractures are and that carpal, and she's like, oh, shaking her head, and, and, she, and she, I'm like, where did these come from? She's like, these are your original x-rays from when you, three weeks ago. I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm looking at them, like, that's cool. I like this stuff interests me. So I'm looking at it, and I'm like, so the, here's the, the fractures, and she's like, yeah, yeah, and the, in the carpal, I'm like, Huh. And she says, what did the doctor tell you? I said, take it easy. And that I wasn't allowed working out. She just kind of shakes her head. Like, she probably deals with this kind of thing all the time. So then she's like, okay, what the doctor didn't tell you, because he probably didn't fully understand the ramifications of it, is the carpal that you broke at the base of your thumb is just designed, like it just sets up that you don't get enough blood flow to that particular carpal. What that means, she said, is that carpal clinically like medically never heals like I can assure you it doesn't heal it'll kind of stitch together a little bit but it'll never be the same way again she says a, a quick like on a door frame or something and it'll crack wide open and she says we have to put pins in it and it'll never be the same you'll have about 60 percent of your strength in that wrist you won't be able to do a whole lot of anything and that was a problem for me because you know I like to work hard and I like to do a lot of heavy stuff and so I was like, I, I, you know, so, but I wasn't worried about it at this point because I was just kind of grinning ear to ear. So I was like, I already knew the answer. And so she's, <laughs> I think she's trying to get me to do something other than grin at her. And, and I wouldn't. So I'm sorry, I'm taking too long. So anyways, so she's like, so, and, and she's saying this in front of everybody, clearly for a reason. So anyways, she brings out some other x-rays and puts them up. She's looking at them you know, and the ones from that day. And then she takes out a magnifying glass, one of those like black handled ones from her pocket. And she's like this. And then she calls over her assistant and she looks, I guess maybe she had better eyesight. And they're looking at it and, and then they look at me. And then the doctor goes a little red in the face and she brings the file and she takes me off to the side and she says, who put you up to this? I'm like, excuse me? She's like, this isn't funny. She's like, I'm busy. There's a lot of people here. Which doctor put you up to this in the general hospital? So apparently there's rivalry between like general practitioners and specialists. They probably play pranks on each other. And she just thought, you know, maybe this was one of those times. I looked totally confused. I'm like, um, I, I didn't do anything to the file. You've had it, you know, and this isn't a scam. So I'm like, why? What do you see? And she says, nothing. I'm like, define nothing. She says, you can't define nothing. There's nothing. I'm like, okay, great, right? That's a good thing, right? And she's like, you don't understand. I'm like, I think I do. And, and she's like, no, you don't. She says, when a bone heals, it leaves a scar, right? And she says, you rest your life. If you have an x-ray or something, somebody can, any doctor of my caliber can look at that x-ray and say, he broke his you know, wrist at this time in his life. I, I know how long ago it happened. I can probably even tell how it happened. You know, she can guess on the activity. I'm like, wow, that's, that's amazing. Like, it's the forensic stuff. Anyways, and then she, sa she says, but I don't understand this is possible. She says, there's no scarring. It's as if it never was broken. And yet I have a very clear x-ray here showing that it was broken in two places. How is this possible? I said, do you want me to tell you? And she said, yes, please. So I, I was able to deliver the gospel message in the waiting room. And everybody's listening. And I, it was, I kept it very simple for, you know, for everybody involved. And I just said, hey, 2,000 years ago, Jesus, a man named Jesus Christ came, who was God in the flesh, fully man, lived a sinless life, died on the cross so he could save us from our sin. And while he was at it, he also made provision for healing. I said, I didn't do anything special. God just told me I was healed, so I believed him. And she's like, well, under the circumstances, 
that is the only explanation I can accept at this time. That's what she said. So everybody was still staring at me. So we were at youth when this happened. So this was so actually we had just started working out. He was coming. I was living here in Sydney Street. He would come over at six a.m. and wake me up, and we'd work out in my basement. And I he had broke his arm, and I, he had a cast on. And he showed up and knocked at the door. Came in. He said, "I cut my cast off." And I'm sitting there going, "Are you crazy?" Because no, I'm believing God. I'm like, "Yes, brother." But I'm thinking to myself, "Like, is this for real?" And so he starts like curling weights, and I'm like, "Is it going to break?" You know, but. Um, Mighty man of faith that I am, but it surprised me, right? And so, so God, God moved because he chose to take God at his word. God spoke to his heart and said, you're healed. Okay, I choose to believe it. And God's power was released. And so that's that third level of Isn't that awesome? And I remember at youth, you came in, and the youth knew that you had cut your cast off, and you said, or that your arm was broken. You said, hey, I'm healed. And then there was some girl there, Megan was her name, and she, she had broke her thumb twirling a... Um, at Walmart, twirling a, uh, a bag on her, and she went through, and the door shut on the bag and ripped her thumb, and it was busted. So she had a cast, and she heard the story. She says, well, I believe I'm healed too, and she took this thumb cast off, and she was healed. Do you remember that? She was like, I can move it, right? So God will move. He'll meet us where our faith is at. Isn't that awesome? All right. Well, listen, I want to close with just one, one other quick testimony. If, if Neil, would you uh, just share a quick word, and then we're going to close in prayer? Yeah. He took some of your time, but you're... you're. <laughs> Thanks. Well, uh, we could give quite a few of these. And by the way, these are great cooks. I've eaten there many times, and they're great cooks. Don't ever let them put themselves down. They're good. And quick, too. <laughs> um, we have a grandson that uh, is a miracle. He's alive today. He's 21 and uh, going to university. But anyway, he... I got a call. I was heading into Toronto one day. This was 21 years ago. Um, and I got a call. My son was on the phone, and he said, Dad, he said, and, and they'd been waiting a number of years to have a child. And uh, anyway, we've just been given the word that our son can't live, and that we're to abort him. And I said, how do you feel about that, son? He said, well, I don't feel right about it. I want, I want to... What do you think? I said, well, listen, I'm just on my way into the city. I'll detour to your house and we'll start to pray. And no one knows what the future is going to hold except we know who holds it. And the reality is is that this child, uh, his mother had no fluid in the womb. So if any of you know anything about that, that child needs the water to be able to breathe. Okay. Also, it needs the water to protect it from the mother's muscles in their stomach. And as they're born, it'll actually crush that baby if it didn't have the water. So in all of that, over the this took a number, obviously, a number of weeks uh, to take place. And um, anyway, we continued to pray at home. We prayed with them. We prayed. The churches prayed. There was a number of people praying. Um, all of us believing that this doesn't need to happen this way. This child was not conceived to die. It was conceived to live. And the reality is, is that that child did live. And he too is written up as a medical miracle because this is not possible. It's not possible for a child to be born without fluid. And he's written up here and in England actually as well because none of, no doctor has ever seen that happen before. But he is born. 
He's six foot two. He's a big guy, uh, and he's uh, he's a golf on a golfing scholarship in the states. He's in university now. Um, he loves the Lord, and he's very very faithful young man. And uh, I just want you to know that the prayer of faith to heal is real. It's very real. And I know it doesn't always happen that way. But it does happen. And unless we push, we'll never know the outcome. If I'd have known you were having, I'd brought my hat. I got a push hat. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. Oh, I have lots of them I could give. But Chris took my time. (laughs) Yeah. But we'll forgive him. We'll forgive him. It was a good story and well put, so we thank you. One minute. Um, just as you were preaching this morning, it said that the church was praying for Peter. And the Lord just caused me to pause and think about that. And I wrote it down. I thought, corporate. And how many times have we stood here together and prayed for some unique thing? We've prayed as a church. That's what I remember about the little church that we went to. Um, God just moves in a corporate setting. He just comes in in a special way. And um, he always answers, whether it's our, the answer we like or not. But God is powerful in a corporate setting as well. And, and um, so at our little church, um, we all gathered around, and they laid hands on Neil and I to stand in proxy for this little boy. We knew it was a little boy. And, and a word was given that for this Hannah's prayer um, that was said to her, that for this baby you have prayed, and the Lord has given this baby to you and so that was our little one so I just want to encourage us again as a body about corporate prayer it's powerful when we stand together when the church prayed for Peter he was released amen so why don't we stand together we're gonna just I'm just gonna close in prayer thank you for listening we hope that you enjoyed our message if you are in the Quinty West area we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning at 24 Dundas Street West Trenton Ontario Check out our service times on our website at atthecrossroads.ca.